Welcome, pool seniors, to another swim shorts episode number three. But this time, we're gonna be sinister. Forget about EBT. It's time for pool crimes. That's right, our little short true crime edition here on the Pool Scene Network. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jim and the man sitting on the opposite side of the table, he has found some of the most prolific serial killers of all time. The French fry guy, the <laughs> hamburglar. That's right. Throwing it over to Kevin. What's up, Kevin? Hello. <laughs> so, Kevin, this week we are talking not just one, but two. Well, one is more of a serial killer than the second, but the second one is more up to date. But right off the bat, they both have to deal with game shows, specifically the dating game and family feud. But first, let's have Kevin tell you about the dating game guy. So right away, I'm, I'm going to say we know that there's thousands of true crime podcasts. No, we're, we're, the, we're the only one. We're not trying to crack into that market at all. But the story of Rodney Alcala Oh my God. Is interesting. And because we cover many forms of entertainment. Yes. There's actually some crossovers, Jim said. Rodney Alcala was a serial killer and sex offender who had already killed multiple women before appearing on the network television game show, The Dating King. Absolutely frightening. So I'm going to give you just a brief history of Alcala and his crimes before we get into the uh, uncomfortable broadcast of The Dating King. It's chilling. Alcala was born in 19. 43 in San Antonio, Texas to Mexican-American parents. In 1951, his dad moved the family to Mexico, but then abandoned them a few years later. So this led his mom to move then 11-year-old Rod, as he liked to be called, which is strange to me because who wants to be called Rod? Jungle! and his two sisters to Los Angeles. There is a thing with serial killers. Now, Jim, you've probably heard this called the McDonald triad. It's a series of signs that many serial killers exhibit as children. They are arson, cruelty to animals, and bedwetting. I hate the fact that it's tied into McDonald's. It's different McDonald's. M-A-C. Oh, McDonald's. Not, no, like Grimace, Grimace, Grimace <laughs> Cheeseburgers, Fry Guy, Fry Guy, Sweet and Sour Sauce. Ah. Usually two out of three of the McDonald triad are enough to be predictive of later predatory behavior. So you parents out there, if your kids are setting fires and abusing animals, probably a problem. If Even if they're burning ants with a magnifying glass. Now, the, the difficult one is the bedwetting. Some kids just, just wet the bed. Hey, you I know. piss the bed a lot. Yeah, some kids, they wet the bed. They have a hard time. So one out of three, not necessarily problematic. Combination of two or all three, big time problem. Watch out. So growing up, Alcala, had zero of three. Oh, he's an anomaly. So not all serial killers exhibit signs, just as maybe not all who exhibit them will necessarily be killers. Yeah. I'd be concerned if a kid was like, yeah, when he was nine, he like cut off a cat's head. He burned down his grandparents' house. He burned down his grandparents' house and he just pissed the bed till he's 24. Constantly. But like now he's a he's a banker, so he's fine. <laughs> he's well-established now. He's a, well, yeah. He's kind a, of. He's a well-established He's a bank, bank teller, not a banker. <laughs> He's yeah. He's, a He's an ATM machine. Yeah. Uh, 
So Alcala was actually a gifted student who ran track and cross country and was on the yearbook committee. He was popular. In 1961, Rod joined the army, but he, so something happened in between basically high school and here because he was disciplined in the army several times by commanding officers for being manipulative, disobeying orders, resisting authority. The big problem in the army was that he was also disciplined for multiple sexual assaults of women. Christ. In 1964, Rod went AWOL after suffering a nervous breakdown. He was then diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Psychiatrists who have studied the case think there are probably a number of other disorders that can also be attached. He was medically discharged from the army in, listen to this, in a weird two butt heads in one place situation. After he was discharged from the army, he went and studied film at UCLA and got a degree, but he studied with Roman Polanski. Oh, God. So weird, two butt heads, one place situation. Ugh. His first known sexual assault victim was Morgan Rowan in 1968 when she was 16, approached her at a Sunset Strip teen nightclub. So he would have been 25 at the time at a teen nightclub. He basically lured her into his car under the guise of going to IHOP. Instead, he drove her to his house where he barred her in his room and repeatedly beat and raped her. Somehow, I don't understand this. I need to hear more. And Jim, you, I know, started to go down the rabbit hole a little bit listening. So somehow her friends tracked her to Rodney's house and rescued her through the bedroom window. Alcala fled, but she never reported it until decades later because she was afraid of what her family would think. A lot of people back then, like going down the rabbit hole like it did, they never wanted to report no, anything. No. Ever. Because victims were treated like shit. Big time. Especially if you're a woman. Yeah, right. So with a similar MO, Alcala did the same thing to an eight-year-old girl. He told her he knew her parents. He was there to give her a ride which is like classic, like predator behavior. Her name was Tally Shapiro. She spent over 30 days in a coma after her run-in with Rodney Alcala. Then there was a 15-year-old named Monique Hoyt. At this point, there was a warrant for Alcala's arrest linked to the assault of the eight-year-old girl Shapiro. So he fled to New York where he changed his name to John Berger of McDonald's. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, Tied in. Another weird piece of trivia is that Alcala, get this, Alcala worked at Blue Blue Cross Blue Shield in New York. He worked together in the same office with a man named Richard Cottingham, who would be known as the New York Ripper, the Torso Killer, and the Times Square Killer. Neither aware were aware of each other as killers. Now, that would have been something that they ended up being best friends. <laughs> Did we just become best They're friends? They're bosom buddies. Uh, Alcala is like the dark Forrest Gump, but for like killers and bad shit. Okay. Basically, he's on the park bench telling people, I was the banana. And he said, I went to film school with Roman Polanski, and I worked with Richard Cottingham. You need so insurance yeah alcala's first known murder was in june of 71 manhattan a 23 year old named cornelia crilly alcala was added to the fbi's 10 most wanted list the same year two children noticed a poster at a post office and turned him in because they knew him from art camp jesus he was arrested extradited back to california but Shapiro's parents had moved to Mexico and would not come back to the U.S. to testify. Oh, fuck, man. Come on. So without the primary witness, they could not charge him with rape or attempted murder. So he was just charged with child molestation. He was sentenced to three years. Paroled after 17 months. God. 
within two months of release, re-arrested for assaulting a 13-year-old. What the fuck? Paroled again in 1976 after serving two more years. What the fuck? Real loosey-goosey justice system. Yeah. More loosey-goosey shit is that his parole officer let him go back to New York, where within a week, he killed a 23-year-old woman named Ellen Hover, who was the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Our fucking justice system is the absolute worst. Still just as bad. It's still bad. After this, he was actually questioned by the FBI because of a tip, and he admitted to knowing Hover, but they couldn't do anything because they hadn't found the body yet. Very hard to prosecute no body yeah a lot of times no body hard to pin something on somebody so the next year he moved back to la because he has such a stellar background already he was questioned by a task force about whether or not he could be the hillside strangler who ended up being two guys yeah around this time he convinced hundreds of young men and women to model nude for him under the guise of him being a professional photographer oh he pulled that shit all the time i can't imagine that none of those models were assaulted Uh, there were hundreds oh yeah he brought the photos to his job and showed people in his office these naked photographs of people no red flag not at all none in december of 77 he killed a woman named georgia wicks did so that leads us up to the dating game appearance at the time in 1978 there wasn't background checks or national databases so all that the dating game knew all the producers knew is that they thought he was attractive and they thought that women would love him. Easy to say now, but the executive producer, Mike Metzger, said Alcala had a mystique that made Metzger uncomfortable. And he used his real name. Yeah. Ronnie Alcala. He used his real name. So, Jim, explain the dating game to us a little bit. Okay, so the dating game came around in the mid-1960s. The whole premise is you have a bachelorette in three guys, or you'll have a bachelor in three women. So, of course, most of the time is very tongue-in-cheek innuendo. That a sex you would say whoopee or you'd make really fun cutesy jokes that were sexual in a way in order to find your right mate. Then you would go out on a date that the studio would pay and yes. provide for. And then whatever happens afterwards is on you. Yes. So in the 1960s, the show was a little bit more buttoned up. But in the 70s, it got like it loose. Was, yeah, it got a little raunchier. Hippians and weed. That's exactly right. It was the, the hippie influence. It got a little more raunchy than when it debuted. So Alcala was bachelor number one. They introduced him as a a professional photographer who likes skydiving and motorcycles. Jesus Christ. The first question Bachelorette Cheryl Bradshaw asked him was a weird question. Bachelor number one. Yes. What's your best time? The best time is at night. Nighttime. Why do you say that? Because that's the only time there is. The only time? What's wrong with uh, morning, afternoon? Well, they're okay, but night times when it really gets good, then you're really ready. The next question was like a role-playing thing where he was asked to be a dirty old man. Bachelor number one, you're a dirty old man. Take it. Come on, over here. (sighs) (sighs) He literally growled like a fucking dog. It's so weird. What does that fucking do with an old dude? I mean, as much as Alcala sucks and is like 
the most evil piece of shit dude. Horrible. I hate her like bachelor number one. Like her like it is first uh, off, she comes off even creepier, not knowing this guy's background, yeah. where she goes into a full like wannabe old man's voice. Yeah. To the point where if I was one of those guys on a stage, not Rodney Alcal, I do not want to be a serial killer piece of shit. But if I were two or three, I would try to whatever I could do, lose. What was the dating show that had the famous clip where it was what's the weirdest place you the strangest place you made whoopee the newlywed game and the girl said in the ass or in the butt or <laughs> however the, she said. said it in the butt in bob eubanks's reaction he yeah. literally fell over laughing yeah in the butt girls tell me where specifically is the weirdest place that you personally girls have ever gotten the urge to make whoopee um <laughs> How they always just say make whoopee. So the most bizarre facet of this dating game appearance by Rodney Alcala, she says, A bachelor number one, I am serving you for dinner. Oh. What are you called and what do you look like? I'm called the banana, and I look really good. Uh, can you be a little more descriptive? Peel me. He says the wildest shit, which is, <laughs> I'm called the banana, and I look really good. <laughs> when asked to elaborate. What the fuck? Well, yeah. Have you ever looked at a banana going, hey, I like bananas, don't get me wrong, but I never looked at a banana and went, mmm. That looks pretty good. Where, and then she says, can you elaborate? And he says, peel me. Is that, what? Rodney Alcala probably had bananas talking to him though. <laughs> like, fucking asshole. He is. Fuck this guy. Uh, and then the dude fucking wins. Oh, which is supposed. So it was Jim, the banana comment. As Jim said, the winners of the dating game are supposed to go on a, a real date, an actual date. It was a, fucking tinder but network television and they don't record it or anything there's no, no follow-up it's like no. they provide a date for you and whatever yes. you do you go from there so however cheryl bradshaw canceled because she thought he was quote creepy thank you cheryl so which leads to the ultimate question do you think he would have been dumb enough to try something on that date he would have he would have killed her and that would have been one of those weird history footnotes where it's like it would have been dating game show content like i would love to have seen her initial reaction when he got busted for all of this shit yeah. knowing if she would have went on that date she probably could have been murdered yes so after the dating game Rodney went on to kill three more women, Charlotte Lamb, Jill Parento, and Robin Samso. After abducting Samso at the beach, her friends told police a photographer approached them asking to take pictures. Detectives circulated a sketch, and it was actually his parole officer who was like, oh, that's Rodney Alcala. This fucking guy kept going back to the same shit over and over again. He got that reckless, like, when you think, like, I've done this so many times. They're not going to do anything. I'm untouchable. I'm, yeah. like, you know, invincible at this point. 
pomp as fuck. And he just literally like approached a group of people and they were like, well, yeah, we can identify this guy. Parole officer nails him. Several trials, death sentences later, he died in prison of natural causes in 2021 at the age of 77. Fucking piece of shit. Spending more than half of his life in prison. There have been several other cases linked to him. He was convicted for eight murders, but it's possible he could have been responsible for as many as 130. He should have been executed. Killed the motherfucker. Like, yeah. seriously. Yeah, it's... We paid for him for how many years? Like, God 40, damn it. basically. We, we uh, basically paid for him to be in prison for 40 we plus We fed years. him. Like, yeah, he... Fuck that guy. It does him a favor, though, to kill him. So then debuting sometime soon is a Netflix movie directed by Anna Kendrick. Oh. Based on Alcala and his dating game appearance. She's directing it, and she's playing Cheryl Bradshaw. Interesting. Yeah. That'll be really good. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Mine is not on the level of Rodney Akala. However, it is more recent. Now, some of you guys out there are big fans, huge fans like I am. I grew up with Family Feud, Richard Dawson, kind of creepy now that you think about it. He kissed everybody on that show. But now we're talking Steve Harvey, which, in my opinion, best host of Family Feud ever. Steve Harvey, amazing Cleveland guy. But a couple years ago in 2020, a young looking chap clean cut by the name of Timothy Bleefnik was on the show with his family. And of course, they had the opportunity to compete for fast money and the grand prize of $20,000 in which they won. Now, here is a little background on Timothy Bleefnik, born in 83, raised in Quincy, Illinois. So he basically lived in his hometown his entire life. He was also a member of of a Quincy, like I would say like a sketch comedy group, Okay, which is, you know, he does a little comic chops, you know, nothing real great, but hell, he performed skits, but he did TikToks and sometimes he did TikToks without a shirt on. Rightfully so, the group purged his tip tops and like, hey, we want nothing to do with this fucking guy. However, on February the 23rd this year, he broke into his wife's home and shot her multiple times. Her gun riddled body of 41-year-old Becky Bleefnik, as her friends called her, Rebecca Bleefnik, a decorated nurse was found when she didn't show up to pick up her three kids from school. Of course, this piece of shit, three kids. Bleefnik and Rebecca were married in 2009, but had been separated for several years, and they were going through divorce proceedings at the time of her death. She had filed a restraining order against Bleefnik and his own father for threats. Fucking weird guy. They both lived in Quincy, like I said, but their houses were only a mile apart so you got to figure for the kids hey we'll keep this amicable you can still have a relationship with your dad and your mom okay i get it the police served several search warrants in the case including on one tim's house on the first of march this year tim pleaded not guilty last month of first degree murder one of the murder counts is murder with intent to kill the other count is murder with intent to cause bodily harm both in illinois are class m felonies which have a sentencing range of 45 to 85 years which basically did he turn himself in did they just know it was him well normally the mo on most of this stuff and you know this stuff with serial killers if they're married or there's an estrangement they automatically yeah. look to the husband yes. or next so that's what they did and then he basically you know okay everything lined up and it was him so currently he was arrested on the 13th of march 
and is being held on a no bond warrant so the motherfucker can't get out. Surprise, motherfucker. He also, because he had a firearm allegedly that was used in the crime, the sentence could become a potential life in prison case. So he's looking at multiple life sentences. The home invasion charge, which he broke into her fucking house and killed her, has a sentencing range of six to 30 years, which is weird because home invasion, you only get six to 30. I don't understand our fucking justice system because it makes no sense whatsoever. His trial begins on May the 22nd. But let me hit you guys with a little little news clip about this guy. Listen to his haunting response to host Steve Harvey's question about wedding day mistakes. What's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? Honey, I love you, but said I do. The audience gasped and Bleepnik attempted to clarify. Not my mistake. I love my wife. Uh. I'm going to get in trouble for that, aren't I? (laughs) Yesterday, when Bleepnik was arrested for murder, he had long hair, a far cry from his clean-cut appearance on Family Feud in 2020. Yeah, he literally said one of those things. He looked back on now in retrospect, very haunting. Like who, even in a joking manner, and we get Family Feud, you say funny things every now and then, but why the hell would you say one of the things you biggest regret was saying I do to your wife, even in a joking manner? And the fact that we find out that, boy, things are really unsettled and it wasn't as it appeared on Family Feud. In in fairness, to play devil's advocate, it looks a lot worse now. Oh, obviously. Then it looked kind of playful. Like, ah, honey. But yeah, Timothy Bleefnik. And once again, another game show killer. Not on a level of Rodney Alcala. We're talking fucking multiple murders. But so strange to think about like that they're it's almost like the theory, though. It's like statistically like you and I, we go to theme parks. Statistically, when we go to a theme park, there's so many people there in a given day. There's probably a few killers there at any given time. Oh, yeah. And it's like they think there's X number of serial killers at any given time. And actually, there are still active serial killers. Like, if you look for it, there's a Florida serial killer. There's like there are active serial killers. But and a lot of these are cold cases. I just think that they don't want to publicize it. You know what I mean? Well, or we're like, not not like the level like Michelle McNamara. I watched that yeah, documentary about yeah. her in the Golden State Killer, yeah. which was absolutely amazing. Sure. Yeah, it's it's just, I remember so actively, well, we're a little young for the publicized serial killer craze. It's uh, Son of Sam, Dave Berkowitz, and Zodiac, and some of these. And the one that we had that I remember just being like this, this massive thing was the Beltway Sniper. Oh, yeah. I can remember the Beltway Sniper case and like every day being like, got another there's another and i can just yeah well do you remember locally remember kenneth byros byros had literally the house right on the tracks right there on kingsgrave road not far away from my parents house and he basically had the mo adamer killed people chopped them up put them in his fridge to the point where his house ended up being like a focal point where people kept going to and they had to bulldoze it yeah but now the tales are you've even talked about it too those railroad tracks people have driven down those tracks and they think something's tied in like well it's paranormal it's, it's what's the five the point, lore five points area yeah. yeah and there's all kinds of lore and it is a pretty spooky area and you know the story with kenneth byros for those who want to listen and and this is my folklore version because i yeah. don't really know with 100 percent certainty that this is true but supposedly he cut the girl's head off he put it on his mantle he would brush her hair and stuff you know so there's like folklore that like oh the blood from her head that was on the mantle it eroded the clear coat and like you could see where her head yeah. was and stuff it, 
it was so reckless, like the amount of people who went in that house. Oh, big time. I That's mean, why they had a bulldozer. Yeah, they bull because people just wouldn't stop and, and going in. And I think like if you listen to like my favorite murder, who does this format way better than we do, you know, with their live shows, they do they have people volunteer to get up and tell a, a hometown and people send their hometowns to the podcast and they read local stories because I'm pretty sure that everybody has a Kenneth Byros. I you guarantee know, some it. worse than others and and some more, you know, there's, hey, which one do you want? There's probably 25 in this area, you yeah. know, but um, thankfully, you know, knock on wood, no um, major serial killers or anything that, that I'm aware of. Just, you know, the random... Uh, we probably come across 20 every time we go to Liberty Walmart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At least. I think one gave me her phone number. <laughs> um, so that's call back to last week. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting topic. I don't think we're going to be venturing into true crime that often. No. But just the fact that these were killers who made appearances on game shows, which is something, you know, we talk about time to time or game shows. Just interesting. Yeah. I think it'll be fun to do. Maybe we were visit. Maybe one of these days down the road, we do more of a deep dive on our guy. Kenneth, well, I shouldn't say our guy he ain't our fucking friend. Oh, no. no, we don't fucking know him. But Kenneth Byros, that was very interesting having our homegrown serial killer here in the Mahoning Valley. But once again, everybody, hope you enjoyed Swim Shorts Episode 3, Pool Crimes. We'll see you next time. Catch you on the flip. Have a good one. Bye bye.